What up, everybody? It's Cuff of the Vision Lab Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Farmers Insurance, the Robert Garcia Agency. If you're looking for the best insurance and customer service, make sure you pick up the phone and dial 972-645-1844. Whether it's home, life, or business insurance, Robert and his staff are the best at protecting you and your family. Once again, that's Farmers Insurance, the Robert Garcia Agency. Agency. The phone number, 972-645-1844. And the website is farmersagent.com forward slash R Garcia. And don't forget to mention the Vision Lab podcast. Welcome back to another great episode of the Vision Lab podcast in partnership with Nexum Creative. I'm your host, Ryan Cuffey, alongside my co-host, Mr. Ryan Mosley. The Vision Lab is the official growth mindset podcast for all visionaries worldwide, showing mad love to the cigar community. It's here in the lab where we uncover people's visions and dreams and how those dreams actually come into reality. Folks, it's all about tapping into and becoming the absolute best versions of ourselves through self-discovery, self-examination, and self-actualization. Hey, yo, I'm really excited. We've been trying to get this going for about a year. COVID stepped up and Long stepped in the coming. way, Long but we, we, we made it happen. So, yo, Mo, who do we got on the show? Cuff, today's guest is a native of Houston, Texas. He is a graduate of the University of Texas in Austin. Uh, the reason he's here is because he is the owner of Garrison Brothers Bourbon. Please welcome Mr. Dan Garrison to the Vision Lab podcast. What up? My what up? What up? to be here. Thanks, guys. This is going to be a lot of fun. I get this, this is awesome. Um, I'm, Shout I'm, out to Taylor. Yeah. Big ups yeah. to Taylor, man. Uh, you did a great job in hiring him. He's a great guy. Absolutely amazing guy. Uh, quick story about Taylor. We met him about a year and a half or so ago. We, we did a charity event. Charity event. He showed up. He uh, was one of the um, vendors at the event. And we just, we clicked. You know, really personable guy, kind of a big teddy bear, you know. Giant. Yeah. And uh, met him and, and stayed in contact with him and, and started talking to him. We tried to, you know, do some things with the podcast uh, last year and then COVID kind of stepped in the way. But definitely wanted to get you on. So we are uber excited about, you know, you being into the lab. Well, we, we hate the fact that Taylor moved to Chicago, but we love what he's doing up there for us. He's a, he's, we call our uh, salespeople bourbon evangelists. Yes. And Taylor's a really good one. And one of the things that I loved about him, we had a bourbon bar, bartending con competition two years ago. Mm -hmm. And the young lady from Fort Worth who made it to the, the, the semifinals, um, during her presentation, after she's spinning all the bottles and pouring all the drinks and decorating all of the, 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 the glasses, she gets down and she starts doing one armed push-ups because wow. she's a she's a bodybuilder okay and she was oh she was cut and ripped and both taylor and i immediately left our seats and went up <laughs> to the stage and started doing push-ups alongside her <laughs> taylor just kept going for like two hours you know he wasn't even tired yeah shout out to taylor man we miss you brother hey if you ever get a chance to come back to dallas we definitely got to have some of this wonderful garrison brothers bourbon and uh we're really looking forward to it uh -oh. so before we get into it, why don't we pay some bills? Absolutely. Uh, thank you to all of our sponsors who have helped to get the show up to this point. Um, Edwina Brown and the family at Blowing Smoke Cigar Lounge in Duncanville, Texas. The uh, the Instagram handle is at Blowing Smoke Cigar Lounge. Uh, EB, thank you guys for all your support. We appreciate it so much. Uh, Crystal and Tim of Class A Vodka. 
we can't say enough. We stand on you guys' product for a reason. There's a reason, visionaries, that they're a part of the show. Uh, Class A Vodka, the Instagram handle is at Class A Vodka. That's Class A with a K. The slogan is Class in Every Glass. We promise if you taste it, you'll understand why we say that. Absolutely. Um, and obviously, last but not least, the good folks at Dial Sleep LLC, whether it's cigars, whether it's uh, uh, charitable events, uh, entertainment, whatever it might be, get the good folks at Dial Sleep LLC. The website is dialsleepllc.com, and the Instagram handle is at dialsleepllc. What up, Ron? All right, so we got to open this up. But before we do, real quickly, tell us what, we, what we've got today. One of the greatest things about good bourbon is it uh, creates legendary stories. Yeah. So this is the story of my wife and her 15-year ambition um, to create a, a honey-flavored liqueur. Uh, she'd been bitching at me for literally 15 years. To, uh, she'd been encouraging me for 15 <laughs> years to make a honey-flavored liqueur. And we don't do that. All we make at Garrison Brothers is bourbon whiskey. So right. uh, I got together with my master distiller, Donis Todd, and I sent him up to a junket in Nashville uh, with, that was put on by the National Honey Board. And they taught him different ways to to use honey and distilled spirits while he was there. And he came back with this crazy idea. And I'm like, there's no way that we're going to make money off this product ever if we're actually going to do this. He bought uh, a bunch of cheesecloth and he made a giant bag, like a tea bag, okay. out of honey cubes. The honey cubes were immersed in a vat of Burleson's wildflower honey for six months. And these are little cubes that came from the barrels. He chopped up all the barrels into these tiny little cubes, dumped them in a 55-gallon drum of Burleson's wildflower honey, and dipped that cheesecloth into the, the vat of bourbon for six months. Wow. Labor-intensive, yeah. a little bit. And we do everything manually. We, we don't have machines doing this shit for us. So he dumped it in there for six months, and he walks up to me one day and goes, taste it. I went, all right. Um, because that's what he does that to me all the time. He says, I got a little surprise for you I want you to try. And he hands me this little vial that's got Garrison Brothers bourbon in it. And I open it up and I, I nose it. And it's definitely bourbon. I can tell it's bourbon. It's good bourbon. And it's 80 proof. So it's a little bit lighter than anything we've ever done before. Mm -hmm. um, and then I drank it down. And I, sw I swirled it around on my tongue for like six or seven seconds before I swallowed it. And my glands just started producing saliva like you can't imagine <laughs> because it was so sweet and it was so good. And then when I inhaled at the end of the, of the, the drink, it was all honey. Mm. All I could taste was honey. And I, I was like, this is the best damn thing I've ever tasted. <laughs> and to this day, the only things that I drink at Garrison Brothers, because I can't afford the expensive shit, <laughs> I drink Honeydew, which is like 79 bucks a bottle. And I drink our small batch bourbon, which is about $79 a bottle. So um, thank God it's good. I'm still married uh, for, after 26 <laughs> years. So it, it worked. And it's selling like crazy all across the country. I think that little yellow neck on the wax on the neck really shines behind a bar yeah. because it's selling as fast as our small batch bourbon is selling yeah. right now. For sure. Well, one of the things I do anytime I get a brand new bottle, and I don't know, do you do this? Uh, I'm, I'm you following you on this you one. smack that ass? Ah, my man. <laughs> you got to hit it. It's nice. All right, so let's get into this. Tell us, you're a man of stories, right? Uh -huh. Tell us a story of, of Garrison Brothers. Like, how did this come to be? Um, In... 2001, I lost my job with a software company in Austin. I'd been with that company for about five years. I was on the verge of a multi-million dollar payout because I was on the executive team and I had a lot of shares granted to me throughout the years. Those shares never became valuable until the company was sold. And it was sold in 2001 to, to a California company called Commerce One. And 
I was shopping for sailboats that I was going to buy in the Caribbean. I was shopping for a beach house on the West Coast and a ranch in Colorado, even though none of that money had come to me yet. Uh, but I thought it was worth about $7 million on paper, and I was real ready to spend it. Ooh. And then something unpredictable happened. Uh, I went to a presentation at the um, Hyatt Regency Hotel in Austin, and the speaker was our largest client, a gentleman named Ken Lay from Enron. Hey. Yep. And I went, man, this is the smartest guy alive. I'm, I'm eating his, I'm drinking his Kool-Aid. Everything that he says, he's built the largest fat butterfly marketplace in the world. Buyers and sellers trading oil and gas futures on, on this, this giant Enron exchange. And we built all the software that ran the exchange. Two weeks later, we found out oh, Enron yeah. was a fraud. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. My company went belly up. 12,000 Texans lost their job. Commerce One, the company that acquired my company, went belly up. Um, it was a complete disaster, and it was the end of the Internet in 2001. The Internet died that day. I remember it's, that. It's rebounded since with a lot of really cool companies out there and a lot of merchandise companies and retail companies. But back then, it was a trading exchange was what the Internet was. It was a giant eBay, and um, it died that day, and I lost my job. And uh, I cashed in my 401K, um, moved my family into a smaller place. Um, we cut back in a big, big way and just tried to survive because I, I couldn't get a job in Austin. Nobody could get a job in Austin. Wow. Um, that lasted about two years. And then I'm reading the newspaper with my wife in bed one night. Y'all remember what a newspaper was? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It was before the internet. And um, I'm reading the newspaper article about this guy that's going to make yet another Texas vodka. And there's already Tito's out there and there's already Deep Eddie out there and there's already Dripping Springs out there and somebody's going to come up with a fourth vodka. And I turned to my wife who drinks a lot of vodka and I said, honey, why would anyone go out and spend millions of dollars to make vodka? It's flavorless. It's tasteless. It has no aroma. And you have to make, you have to add things to it to make it taste good. And I'm just giving her shit, right? Mm -hmm. And she turns over and goes, well, maybe you should make bourbon. Um, as much of that stuff as you drink, you probably save our family money. <laughs> and I went, that's not a bad idea. And two weeks later, I was on my way to Kentucky to go see the bourbon trail. Wow. Wrote a letter to the Tax and Trade Bureau, which manages the alcohol distribution and sales across the United States. They are, they're the federal rule makers and said, can I make bourbon in Texas? And I got a letter back from them a week later. And it said, of course you can. Why would you think otherwise? And I went, oh, shit. So <laughs> Kentucky, it's real now. <laughs> Kentucky folks been lying to us for 200 years. <laughs> and once I realized that, I went, nobody knows this information but me. So I have to. I have to capitalize on this opportunity, wrote a business plan, borrowed money from every friend that, that I could, who didn't think I was insane, uh, visited every bank in central Texas to ask for money. And they all just laughed me out the door. They asked, they asked these ridiculous questions, unusual questions. Have you ever made bourbon before? No. Uh, have you ever financed a business before? No. Um, uh, do you know how to make bourbon? Not really. Um, <laughs> How, how many how many employees are you going to have? I have no idea. The nerve of them to ask such yeah. questions. Have you written a business plan? Well, sort of. It's more like a story, but it's it's kind of a plan. And so um, the next thing you know, my mother-in-law offers to buy a little piece of property out in the hill country for me to go out and experiment with this stuff. And I started making bourbon. Um, didn't have a federal permit at the time, so I was doing it illegally. It was, and it's a felony to do that. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> The statute of limitations is expired. I was going to say, statute of limitations got to be over with. We all got to start somewhere. Don't have the feds come knocking on our door. Right, we're just the car. So that's how it all started. And um, in 2008, I hired my first employee. Uh, 2010, I sold my first 2,000 bottles in two counties in Texas. Wow. 
Um, today, Garrison Brothers is selling in 38 states across America and seven foreign countries. And I'm walking into bars in these remote areas that I never heard of before and going inside and visiting with the bartender and they've already got it behind the bar. And, um, so we must've done something right along the way. No, you guys definitely have, definitely have. And so have you had a chance yet? I've smelt it. I'm not, right, I'm not so drinking let me, yet. Let me nose it. You know it when you smell it. Mm -hmm. You know it when you smell it. You know it when you taste it too. And I'm not a big flavored, you know, um, spirit drinker, right? I can't, I can't decipher that. Like it, it tastes like real bourbon. Oh, it's bourbon forward. Yeah. hundred percent. That's bourbon forward. Um, I'm going to go back in your story circa 2001 ish, right? Hey, since we popped this cork, can we raise a toast before you go there? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. By all means. All right. This is one of my favorite toasts. One of my, um, my distillers taught me this one. This is to rattlesnakes and condoms. Two things I'll probably never fuck with. <laughs> oh, my man. Amen. Get it. All right. Let's go back. You just lost your job. You know, you had to uh, liquidate your 401k. Um, was there any fear or trepidation about what the next move was? My nickname in high school was the bull. I was a tailback on the football team and junior high as well. And even my letter jacket said had the bull stitched into the side. And are you a tourist? Am I a tourist? A tourist. Uh, no, I'm Sagittarius. Okay. But um, a tourist. <laughs> and so um, the reason I got the nickname Bull is everybody called me a, a bull in a China shop. Okay. Um, when I walk into a situation, I don't survey the situation. I don't do any homework to see what's going on. I just start telling my shit and doing my shit. And I did the same thing on the football field. I had no idea how to play football, but I would, I would just run over people all the time. And... Um, so that became my, my, my nickname was the bull in the China shop, which is funny because I, I own a 24,000 bull we'll talk about later. Okay. Um, but it was, it, that's, that's how it all started. So I didn't care. I didn't think that it was impossible when people told me it was impossible. When people told me I wasn't going to have any income coming in for five years, I was like, well, I don't have any income coming in anyway. What's the difference? I'm dirt poor. I, I can't get a job. So why not explore this hobby um, and, and try to go sell it? And one of the biggest fears I had was the distribution market. Um, it's one thing to make something that you're really proud of and you know it's good, but the liquor distribution market in the United States is the most corrupt industry in America today. Oh, wow. You have to pay to play. Um, and if you, there's only really two distributors two. Yep. in every single state. Glaciers and... Um Republic National, yeah. which is our distributor, which has been a great relationship. And I walked into this first distributor that I interviewed and, and I, I thought I was going in to interview them, but they ended up interviewing me <laughs> and they put a contract in front of me and said, you're going to have to sign this. And I looked through the pages and they wanted a five-year buyout, meaning if I sold the business within five years, I would owe them hundreds of thousands of dollars that I didn't have. You know, how am I supposed to do that when I have, I won't even be able to sell my product for five years. Right. And it was, it was complete corruption and you could just smell it in the, the words in the contract. And so I walked away from them thinking that, that, you know, I probably had wasted a lot of my family's money and a lot of my time doing this. And then I went to the second distributor, which is a guy named Jay Johnson and he runs Republic National Distributing Company. He now runs Young's Market Company, which is owned by Republic out in California. And I met the nicest guy I'd ever run into. And I literally started crying in his office because he said, Dan, we don't need a contract. I believe in you. I believe in your bourbon. Yeah. And um, let's work together. And I'm just, I just started bawling because that was my <laughs> biggest concern right there in the office. And, and um, 
he did it. And uh, we, we have now signed a multi-state deal with Republic National, uh, and it's a seven-year term. So we're with them for a long time. Yeah, everyone's in agreement with each other. Yeah, and I'll be 65 years old when that runs out, and I may retire at that point. But um, they've been really good to us through the years, and they have shown me that that even in this corrupt industry, they're good people. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that I've, I've taken just from this, you know, because we've we've literally just met 20, 30 minutes before we actually start turning these cameras on. It's the the grind, right? Like I call it putting your hands in the mud, getting it out the dirt, right? You know, it's one thing people say, oh, you know, I went and made a bourbon, right? But can you talk about the actual process that you went through? Like, say you were in the hill country experimenting. Sure. Like no, you, no experience. Either. Yeah, no experience. Like, this this is not like in the family bloodline or anything like that. Like, you had to like put in some real sweat equity to actually make this amazing product. Can you talk about not necessarily the process of making bourbon, but the process that you had to go through personally when it came to, okay, find this land in the hill country, figure out what supplies I'm going to need, you know, whether it's corn, wheat, barley, Oh, I got to have a steel. I got to have the metal and the copper, like all that stuff. Before I go down that path, because I'm happy to explain that, but I think this is relevant to your show and the mission of your show. Okay. Um, creating people that that um, are entrepreneurs and want to become entrepreneurs and want to succeed in self, self-actualization. Right. Um, the, the main reason that entrepreneurs do not pursue their dreams is self-doubt. Yes. At some point in the process... Um, you get a, an estimate for the steel you're about to buy and you think it's going to be $125,000, but copper's gone through the roof over the past seven months and it comes out at $1,250,000, you know, and you're like, whoa, that, that's, that's not what I get in the game for. That, that blows my business plan up. It's done. I can't do that. And I was too stupid to know that. <laughs> When that, when I would, something like that would happen to Ignorance me. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. I just kept on going. I said, well, we'll figure out a way. And then I'd go talk to somebody else and I'd say, all right, I'll give you $50,000 for a 12% stake or something like that. And so along the way, I started to understand the value of equity. Um, keep your equity. Yes. Do not give it away for money. <laughs> Tell people you'll pay them back after the business sale sells, or you'll give them a, a barrel, one of the first barrels of bourbon that you make, make them all sorts of promises, but don't give away equity because if you give away equity, you give away power and control of the business. Yeah. So that's a total sideline. No, that's good. No, no, no. That's a gym. That's a gym. That's a nugget. That's so, like um, the first thing I had to do is go to Kentucky and figure this shit out, right? And so I went, there were only only nine distilleries when I went to Kentucky, making about 35 brands of bourbon whiskey. When you walked into a big liquor store like a Specs or a Twins, you'd have an entire half acre aisle of yep. vodka, half acre vial, uh, aisle of gin, mm -hmm. but there were only 35 bourbon brands on the shelf. And I thought, well, that's strange. I love bourbon. I've loved bourbon since I was 13 years old. <laughs> why, why, why aren't these people selling bourbon and more bourbon than anything else? They're selling rum and tequila and vodka. And, and not, not to put down the tequila and the rum, no, and the vodka guys, but, um, I, I couldn't understand that. So then I went to Kentucky and I went to these nine distilleries and visited them and I met some really nice people and they were all proud of their product and they were proud of the history of that particular distillery, but they were all kind of beaten down because this was granddaddy's drink. Bourbon in the 1950s and 60s just skyrocketed in popularity over and over again. And all of a sudden in the 1970s and 80s, it started to tank because all of the 
the the disco phase, uh, the, and hippies. All, the hippies, the yep. hippies, and all that, and and it changed. Nobody was drinking bourbon except for Granddad, and so these they were beaten down. There were no new products coming out. There was no nothing interesting happening in the bourbon industry. And then I took a great tour with um, Freddie Anderson at the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Okay, fifth generation Buffalo Trace employee, uh, super cool guy. The, he, he's, I think he's up in his eighties today, but man, if you can get Freddie to give you a tour, Freddie Johnson, not, in, not Freddie Anderson, Freddie Johnson. He, and he, he pats me on the back and says, you from Texas, huh? And I said, yeah. And he says, he says, I see you from the cowboy hat. And I said, yeah. He said, you know, no one's ever made bourbon in Texas. And I said, I know I'm going to be first. And he said, I believe you are. And I was like, that helped. And then when I got back to Texas, I get this call from this uh, woman named Teresa Mackinich. Everybody knows her in, in Kentucky as Mac because she was the marketing director of Buffalo Trace for 15 years. And she had just married a Texan and moved to Texas and quit her job at Buffalo Trace. Oh, wow. One of the greatest jobs in the world, right? And she calls me up and said, hey, I just talked to Freddie over at Buffalo Trace. He said he was on your tour today. And I said, yeah. And he said, you're going to make bourbon here in Texas? I said, I am. And she said, is that legal? And I said, it is. <laughs> and I sent, emailed her over the, the letter from the Tax and Trade Bureau that they'd sent me. And she said, we can really do this. And I said, we can. I said, who are you? She said, I'm, I'm Teresa Mackinich. I worked for Buffalo Trace for 15 years, and I know everybody up there. The next time you go to Kentucky, I want to be your escort. I want to take you with me. I want you to take me with you. And then I met Teresa and I went, oh my God, yes, let's go. Gorgeous redhead, really, <laughs> really cool and really smart and really fun. And um, she took me up there and she introduced me to some of the legends in the industry. I got to meet Dave Pickerel. I got to meet Bill Samuels Jr., the son of the founder of Maker's Mark. Wow. Dave Pickerel was the master of still at Buffalo Trace for 15 years. I got to meet Elmer T. Lee before he passed away. Wow. Um, I got to meet Harlan Wheatley at Buffalo Trace, the master of still there. She introduced me to Max Shapira at Heaven Hill. I got to meet... Um, uh, um, David Beam and Parker Beam, who were the master distillers at, at Heaven Hill. And I got to meet Drew Colesveen uh, at, at Kentucky Bourbon Distillers. And I got to have dinner with all these people. And they would immediately, instead of, instead of treating me like a competitor, because in Texas, it's a real competitive business state. Nobody shares information, you know. It's not like you're a bunch of colleagues. You, you kind of compete, compete with each other. And none of these people withheld anything. I got... I got, I got Drew, Drew Colesveen writing recipes on napkins for me at, at a lunch dinner, that, I mean, a lunch date that we're, we're, we're at. I got um, Craig Beam and Elmer T. Lee writing recipes on napkins for me to try. Yeah. And it's more than a recipe. It's the procedure. How do you do it? And then I came back. I bought a little still about <laughs> visions of this massive um, <laughs> column still from Vendome Brass and Copper Works. And then they sent me the estimate. It was like 2.5. And like, that ain't happening. Yeah. Got anything cheaper? About that. <laughs> <laughs> Something around 2,500? <laughs> they said, no, we don't. And I said, well, what's that little still out there in the hallway? And they said, well, that's Elmer T. Lee's experimental still. Uh, Harlan Wheatley just replaced it with a new still that we built for him. And I said, how much would you give me that for? And they said... Dude, it's going to be expensive. It's like $750,000. You're like sold. I said, I'll take it. I'll figure out a way to pay for it. I said, can I pay, pay it quarterly? Can I pay $1,000 a quarter until it's paid off? <laughs> and they're laughing yeah. at me. They're like redneck. Um, <laughs> but it, it worked, you know. And to this day, I'm still paying $1,000 a quarter to B Buffalo Trace Distillery and to really? Brass and Copper Works for this tiny little 100-gallon still that I had. So I came back and I had to learn how to do it. Um, 
coincidentally, at the very same time that that happened, when my still arrived, Dave Pickerel resigned in protest uh, from Jim Beam Brands and from Maker's Mark because they wanted him to reduce the proof of Maker's Mark. And he was protecting the family's legacy and he said he wouldn't do it. Why in the world would they want him to do that? Yeah, really. And so he resigned. And I said, well, Dave, what are you going to do with yourself? He, he divorced at this point. He'd, um, he resigned at this point. And he said, I don't know. I said, get your ass down here to Texas. Right. Show me how to run this still. I will, I will camp. You can stay in my RV, <laughs> you know, and I'll <laughs> camp out and we'll cook steaks every night, bake potatoes and talk about the legends of whiskey and the lore of whiskey. And Dave was the greatest whiskey storyteller in, in the world. Uh, he rebuilt the George Washington distillery from the ground up. Mm. He, he knows anything and everything there is to know about bourbon whiskey and rye whiskey here in the United States. And so he became a little mentor for me. And, um, and then Bill Samuels showed up on my doorstep one day wanting to see the the new the newest bourbon distillery in America, which was literally, a, you know, a 500-square-foot building. <laughs> um, so it just happened that way. And um, I started to cook corn, and I couldn't figure out why the corn would turn into glue at the end of the cook, and I'd have to spend the rest of the day cleaning the, the cooker out. And... Um, I, I called Craig Beam in the middle of the night one night. I was so frustrated. I was just pulling my hair out. And I said, I said, why am I making glue? I'm making glue every night over and over again. He said, you dumbass Texan, you got to put the damn barley in first. Put a little bit of the barley in first. And that keeps the glue from the corn from becoming glue. You dumbass. I told you, you wouldn't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it. And it worked. And the corn came out sweet and beautiful. And I had a, at the end of the cook, I had like a 18% bricks, which is the sugar content in the mash. And I, w I went, oh shit, I got, I got past this, the first stage of making it. Now I know how to make distillers beer. The next stage is to learn how to run a still. And then Dave came down and taught me how to run that still. And he said, your mash is pretty good, but he made some, you know, some contributions to that process as well. The mash is the is mash before it becomes distiller's beer. Oh, I'm a fan of moonshiners. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan. He had a look in your eye. <laughs> so, yeah, he knows what, exactly what I'm talking about. So Dave uh, helped me run the still. Dave um, participated in an interview with a TV show that it came out to interview me because they thought I was redneck of the year for doing this. And, um, and it just kind of took off from there. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. The next thing you know, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to make more equipment. I'm going to need more equipment because I'm producing these little 10 gallon barrels of, of bourbon whiskey and three bottles would come out of it. But these barrels are costing me $250 a piece. So there's no way that I can ever sell that bourbon. There's no margin profit. there. And so I kept working with my cooperages to make me better barrels. And then I started realizing that they would crack once it got to be a hundred degrees in Texas, the staves would start to crack because the bourbon inside is putting so much pressure on the, on, the, on the staves that it's just cracking and I'm losing liquid, liquid, liquid out of the barrels. And I'd come in each day with a mop and mop up all the bourbon that was in, in my little storage container. And it was frustrating. So um, there were a lot of ups and downs along the way. You know, one of the things that I've heard you say a couple of different times uh, on the show is belief and believing in yourself, having others believe in you. Um, when I say the word belief, what does that mean to you? Good bourbon can change the world. Okay. Good bourbon can create um, lifelong friendships and partnerships. Good bourbon can increase one's faith in man and God. Good bourbon creates legendary stories. 
that is our philosophy behind Garrison Brothers Distillery and Good Bourbon for a Good Cause, which is our public charity that we've started. Um, I see it every day. I have about 30 volunteers that come up. We do all of our bottling with volunteers. And at first they get there and they're all looking around the room and this guy over here is a lawyer. Uh, this girl looks like she's a stripper. Uh, this guy's <laughs> got tats all over his body. Uh, this, this, this girl over on the other side has got uh, metal piercings through every into every lobe on her body. It's the hill country. So you never know. And yeah. And they're all looking around and they're all a little nervous and their backs are up against the wall. And this guy looks like a lawyer. Oh shit. Um, and then we give them breakfast in the morning, uh, which is usually biscuits and gravy. And then we give them lunch in the afternoon, which is fried chicken. And we give them a shot of courage every half hour throughout the day to keep them motivated. Uh, we pass around a little communion tray that's got these tiny little communion cups in it. And everybody drinks a little shot of communion with each other. And by noon, they're all dancing with each other. And they're all exchanging phone numbers and email addresses. And they're making plans to have dinner together. And by the second day of their bottling experience, they are talking about when they're going to come back and do it all over again with the same group that's there because they want to have a, a bottling reunion every single year. And we work that out for them. We make it happen. And it's so fun. I can't, yeah. I can't. We sing, we dance, we tell jokes, we do dirty toasts. It's it's um, it's it's family. Yeah. And and it brings me closer to God because I meet so many people that are religious and have been through it before and have been through pain and hell. And veterans, so many veterans are on our bottling line and we'll have groups of families that come out when they're, they're about to send their kids off to, to West Point or to, to uh, the Naval Academy or to the Air Force Academy, or they're just going overseas to fight our wars for us. And so we do toast to veterans every single day. Every Friday we were Red Friday shirts, remember everyone deployed. And um, oh, that's good. we keep it Christian, we keep it good, we keep it clean. The toasts are a little disgusting and raucous, but that's okay. <laughs> I think God will forgive me. Everyone has a, everyone that we've talked to, right? Especially from the entrepreneurial space, you know, whatever product they provide in the marketplace. Everyone has that, um, I don't even call it like a fork in the road moment, right? But there's a certain, a certain point you light realize. Light bulb moment. There you go, the light bulb. But a certain point you were like, this is going to work. Like when it's one thing, like you said, to get through the first step of like, okay, my, my mash is not turning into glue. But at a certain point, the light bulb went off and you thought, you know what, this is really going to work. I'm curious, when was that moment? For the first um, four years I sold bourbon, that's 2010 to 2014, I would literally load cases of it into the back of my truck and I would drive all over the state of Texas. I bet you I have been on every road in the state of Texas mm. since I started this adventure. And I would walk into this podunk liquor store that's been around for 100 years. It's the only liquor store in that particular county because they've got the, the TABC permit to have a, a, a retail <laughs> store. And those re permits are worth millions of dollars. And once you get a permit in a county, you're, you're, you're set for life if you're willing to just work your ass off because you have to be there at the liquor store six days a week from nine o'clock in the morning until the TABC lets you close at nine o'clock at night. So it's a shit dot job. You're, I mean, it, it, if, it's you a grind. Own, if you own a liquor store, you're the person behind the counter every single day. You don't have a bunch of employees that you can pay until you get bigger and get more popular. And if, especially if you're doing it in a real small town. So it's a grind for sure. And every liquor store I would walk into, I would say, Hey, I'm Dan Garrison. I'm so pleased to meet you. And I have my hat, my hat on, of course. And I'd shake their hands and they'd look at me like, you know, I've been here all day. Who are you? <laughs> what, what do you want, Mr. Mr. <laughs> Jubilant? And uh, I'd say, I'm Dan Garrison. I make bourbon whiskey here in Texas. It's the first whiskey distillery outside of Kentucky. And I want you to try some. And the response I would get from these guys over and over again was, um, 
you can't make bourbon in the great state of Texas. It's all got to come from Kentucky. <laughs> and I, I was just so sick of that response. If I had a dime for every time somebody told that to me. You wouldn't need to work. I wouldn't need to work anymore. And so at one point, probably around 2016, we had decided to double down and invest a lot of money in marketing and salespeople. And I started walking into these same liquor stores that I'd been in 10 times before that where they wouldn't even talk to me about buying it. And they, and one of the things that we started doing is we started putting this little neck hanger on the, on the bottle and it's got a picture of me on it. Um, not on the honeydew bottles, but on the regular small batch bourbon and our single barrel bourbon. And, I would walk into a liquor store in 2016. It was the greatest marketing move my marketing director ever came up with. And he would look at me at the, at, when I walked through the door, wearing the same damn cowboy hat. And then he'd turn around and he'd look at the bottle of Garrison Brothers on his counter. And he'd see the picture of me in the cowboy hat. And he'd say, are you Dan Garrison? And I'd say, I am. And I'm so pleased to meet you. And I can't believe you're selling my bourbon. That makes me so happy. Makes my family so happy and so proud. And it means a lot to us. I want to buy that bottle right now. And he'd go, okay. And the bourbon guy needs to buy his own bottles, but you do that. And you share those bottles. I would literally take that bottle and I'd go to the next liquor store and hand it out to the next liquor store owner and say, I brought you a little gift and give them the bottle. It just kept spinning and spinning and spinning. And yes, I spent a shit ton of money, but you know what? I made a lot of friends. Um, at Christmas time, we would hand out little gift bags that had koozies and bumper stickers and a little boot flask bottle of bourbon inside of it. We would hand those out to liquor stores in, in Austin. And everybody started knowing who we were. And everybody started liking who we were. And that was the moment, I guess, probably 2015, 2016, that I knew this might actually work. So let, let's talk about the actual bourbon itself. What can, if anybody hasn't had Garrison Brothers, please do yourself a favor and copy one of these bottles or two or three or four. Um, it is absolutely amazing. Uh, we definitely stand behind it. But but what's in, like, what is the ingredients? What can people expect when, when they nose it, when they taste it, uh, you know, from every one of your product? With one exception, all of our bourbons are weeded bourbons. Uh, the recipe is going to be 74% corn, 15% soft bread winter wheat from Texas Farms, uh, and 11% barley also from Texas Farms, which wasn't even a possibility back when I started the business. But farmers saw what we were doing and realized we were going to need barley, so they started planting barley. I said, let's get on this right now. And they jumped on it. And sure enough, today we've created a lot of family farms that are very successful because they buy from us. We're doing over 2 million pounds of corn a year now. In my first year in 2010, no, 2008, seven when we started, we did about 2,000 pounds of corn. And now we're doing 2 million pounds of corn. Wow. We get a delivery every week of corn from 40,000 pounds of corn from some somewhere in Texas. And um, it's 74% corn, 15% soft red, red winter wheat, and 11% barley malt. But that's well, not what we think we're good at. We know we can make good bourbon that way. That's our recipe for our small batch bourbon, and it's consistent. It always comes out the same. The secret to good bourbon is the barrels. As the liquid sits inside the barrel, when it gets warm, it heats up and it forces its way into the staves. So we decided to have thicker staves. If there's more sap juice in there from the the white American oak trees from which these barrels are made, and you can extract more of that sap because your temperature is so high here in Texas compared to Kentucky, which is 
average temperature in Kentucky is about 70 degrees all year long. And in the summer, it gets up to maybe 75 or 80. There's nothing happening inside that barrel. The wood, Sure, the bourbon expands a little bit, but it's not forcing its way into the yeah. wood mm -hmm. like it's doing to, for us here in Texas. So we're extracting more sugars from the wood, and that comes from the sap from the white American oak tree. And you can taste it. I mean, you, No, you can't. It's stout. It's it's robust. It's full of flavor. Try it against a $3,400 bottle of Pappy Van Winkle and tell me which one you like best. You get the Pappy Winkle and I'll try it. <laughs> I've done that. I have plenty of Pappy. Back in the day, I could buy it for you know $200 a case yeah. back in Kentucky and bring it down here. Why? Well, I keep hearing. I keep hearing about the state of Kentucky. Why is there such? Or at least at the time when you were getting off the ground, why was there such a Stigma. misnomer about Kentucky being the only place you can make bourbon? Well, the market was shrinking. It was Granddaddy's Bourbon, so nobody was getting into it anymore. And all of the distilleries that were operational in Kentucky had somehow been bought back after Prohibition. Because Prohibition decimated the the whiskey industry in the United States. I mean, it was gone. There was nothing being made in the United States from 1919 all the way until 1933 when it was repealed. So then there's and and during that time all of the feds had raided all of these bourbon warehouses that were supposed to be under lock and key and protected by the feds and the feds themselves stole all the whiskey out of it and sold it illegally on the black market mm. creating the mafia which um was distributing liquor illegally you know in almost every state in america there's stories about uh uh guys here in texas that had distilleries that were making it illegally throughout prohibition and um the black market developed, and once the black market developed, the government could keep its hand on it. Uh, during Prohibition, they all decided also decided they would no longer tax whiskey production. Well, they killed the industry, so you can't tax it anymore. And if you don't have the taxes coming in, you can't afford to pay the revenueers who are supposed to go out and collect the IRS money. So there's just it. it it's a recipe for disaster. A recipe for disaster, and it was. And so. Um, in thir 1933, the federal government wiped their hands of, of liquor distribution rules and regulations, and they passed it on to the states. And every single state, every single moonshiner and every single state went, hmm, this smells like opportunity. Hmm. It's going to be legal again. All I have to do is pay my taxes. Maybe I'll figure out how to write those laws for the state government of Texas and Mississippi and New Jersey and North Carolina in a way that favors, favors my company-owned pharmacies. <laughs> Twin Liquors was a pharmacy back in the day. Specs wow. was a pharmacy back in wow. the day. Because if you got sick and you needed something, what the doctor would prescribe is alcohol. And only pharmacies could sell alcohol. So you'd get a pint a day or a pint a month for the family, and all of your family members would all try to get the chits to get the little pint from the local pharmacy. And so those pharmacies became liquor stores. And then those liquor stores realized they could make money off of this, and it was a huge opportunity for them. So they rewrote all the rules in 1935. You're a historian. Yes, sir. And and I, I love that about you, know, about you because you have so much respect for, for the spirit itself that you've gone and done the work, not just from a labor-intensive perspective, but also to know the history behind each individual spirit. What Have you always been a historian? Like, what made you want to kind of go back and understand the histrionics of things? Big time. I love history. I love American history, Texas history. I go back and read it over and over again. Um, I'm really into history because I think you have to know your history to know what, what you can do going forward. Um, we talked earlier before we got on mic about other distilleries across the country that have opened up since we started our, our business. And most of them are fakers. They're not real. 
they go and buy it from Kentucky or they go and <laughs> buy it from Indiana and they stick it in a bottle and they put on the label made in Texas. And that's illegal, but you can get away with it because our federal government is so underfunded, they can't enforce their own laws. So I see it all the time. I'll walk into a liquor store and they'll be today, you know, there's 250 bottles of bourbon on the shelf and only about 50 of them are actually making their own bourbon. Mm. The others are trading it behind the scenes. It's called sourcing and you can source bourbon. You can buy three-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever you want to buy from distilleries in Kentucky. Slap a label on it. Yeah. How advantageous is that is is that to whoever the actual source is? Because at that point, you're just making bourbon. You don't care who buys it. You just, hey, okay, you're going to pay me X amount for my three or for my five or my seven. I mean, if if you're if you're in that position, I mean, how? I mean, it, it's financially advantageous, right? But sure. from your standpoint, like if you were in that position, how would you handle things? Well, I wish I'd been smart enough to do that in the first place. <laughs> you know, what if I became a mass producer of bourbon and I built a, a $10 million distillery as opposed to my little $3 million distillery? I could be selling it all over the world today to to entrepreneurs who want to have their own label. I mean, look, look at uh, Blackened. It's like a, a rock and roll band that's mm-hmm. behind that. And Dave Pickerel helped, helped them get started and helped them source their own whiskey. You look at... Uh, because uh, everyone's in spirits now, whether it's bourbon, whether it's tequila, you know, every everyone with a with a social media following. Now they want to have a spirit, and it's That's like, right. oh wow! Like, are you really that educated in making tequila? Are you really that educated in making vodka? It's like, like I said, yeah. whoever is actually sourcing all that—that's the—that's the where the real money's at. Yeah, I think Clooney sold Casamigos tequila for seven hundred million dollars. <laughs> George Strait's behind Codigo. Yeah, I doubt George has ever visited a, a, a <laughs> tequila distillery. The King, uh, we love George Strait. No, 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 no offense, George. It's business. Um, it. it is, and, and everybody's got their own brand now. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. We um, come out with our own brand. I at least know know that I have done it from the ground up, and I've made it all myself. And that's actually where I wanted to go, um, because it means something to you. Oh, it means everything to me. You know. Um, the fact that you're organic, the fact that, and, and not not the spirit, but I'm saying like the fact that you've put in your blood, sweat, tears, your money, right? Um, talk about that. I know, I know, because we talked offline earlier. Um, go into how and why it's so important to to do it on your own and and pay your dues. So. Um, uh, two-part two-part answer to your simple question um earlier i said in the show that it's important to be authentic and that um if you're not you're just you're just going to sell out at some point you know you're just doing this for the money everybody has an have to has to have an extra strategy in their business you have to have some sort of exit strategy i didn't i never had an exit strategy now I'm looking at myself here 17 years later and I'm going, shit, I'm going to be 65 in seven years. Can I continue to do this road work that I'm doing? I mean, going to states all over the country in my truck with bourbon in the back and passing out little gift bags with it. Can I continue to do that when I'm 70 years old? Maybe, but I've, for the past 17 years, I've sacrificed family. I've sacrificed travel with my wife. Um, I'd like, I've never been to Italy. I've never been to France. I'd like to go do that kind of stuff. And now I hopefully will have the means to do it. But in order to do it, I'll probably have to give up some percentage of the business to somebody out there who's going to run it so that we can have the money to continue in the future. Because 
I don't profit from anything that we've done. We've never turned a profit until this year. This is the first year we've turned a profit. Oh, my gosh. I know. I'm shocked. Yeah. We turned a profit uh, January, February, and March, and almost in April. We were a little bit under in April, but it's the first three months that we've turned profit since 2015. You you, you just blew both of our minds just now. Well, here's why. I'm not investing in tomorrow. I'm investing in five years from now. Because the bourbon has to age a minimum of four years yep, before you can actually get it out there. Sometimes seven before you can send it out in the market. Mm-hmm. If unless you want to send out an inferior product, then you've been making it all along. So we're in a real awkward position right now because in 2021 and 2020, because of COVID, everybody started hoarding this wonderful liquid and sticking it in their beds and their closets and their bathrooms, cases and cases of, we had, our sales were up 57% in 2020 from 2019 because people were hoarding bourbon. Anytime there's there's a stressful situation in in the economy, liquor sales go up. Absolutely. It's one of the most resilient industries in the world. And not only that, but um, when they start hoarding it like that, that means in 2024 or 2025, I'm going to have a problem. (laughs) <laughs> because, resources are depleted. I would have had to make all of that yeah. bourbon in 2018 and 2019 and 2020. Yep. And I didn't because I didn't have the capacity. Um, so I need to start building a new distillery right now. And I'm not sure that I can, and it'll be a big plant. Um, we want, it's got to be here in Texas for damn sure. It's going to be gigantic. And Let's go ahead and say it. We're going to make it by hand though. So it's going to mean a huge labor cost because we'll always do everything we do by hand. Uh, if my distiller doesn't know what's coming on, Donis, pardon the imagery here, okay? Donis is my master distiller, and he's the greatest talent in the bourbon industry today, and everybody knows it. And he's been offered by every big guy in the country a job to, to leave me, and God bless him. He's, he stayed with me. So, um, Shout out to Don. Donis, for six months, will train a new distiller, an apprentice distiller. Uh, first, they have to work, know how to work the cookers to make the mash, and they have to know how to make the beer in the, in the fermentation room, and then they get to move to the distilling room, and he has to work with them day in and day out for six months. And Donis will walk up to them every single day and go, smell my finger. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> he dips it in the white dog, and he walks up and says, smell my finger. And they have to tell him what chemicals they're smelling. Are they smelling uh, propanol? Amyl alcohol, butyl alcohol, ethanol, or methanol, which is toxic. Because if they don't know the difference just by smelling the liquid itself, by doing it by hand, then they're not qualified qualified to be a Garrison Brothers distiller. Mm-hmm. It's it's a test. It's, it's it's old school. And we're real proud of that. And I that's how I taught Donis. He knew a little bit about distilling coming into it, but that's how I taught him. That's how I taught our first distiller, Fred, and then our JD, uh, which is a, a great story I want to tell you about later on. Um, that's how we did it. That's how we learned the art. Man, that's absolutely crazy. I'm curious, right? So we've got this, this, this honeydew, as you call it, um, and you've got the... Uh, and forgive me for the the titles the the the, the, the single batch and the small batch did I say that correctly? It's small batch, small batch, and single barrel. Single barrel. Excuse me. Are there are there plans to do anything other than those two? And what we see here in front of us. We did um, last year a uh, high rye, but what we found is that the rye it was like thirty five percent rye content, fifty one percent corn, and the rest was our all barley. We found that the rye took a lot more time in the barrel to become sweet. It was good, but it was it was, it was pretty bitter when we first tried it at, at four years of age. So it took about seven years of age. So it's not really a product that's meant to be made in Texas. 
high rye. rye. Rye just does not do well in the heat in Texas. It takes a lot longer to age. So we released high rye. That was our first variation from our recipe. But what we specialize in today is not necessarily the grain usage or what types of grains we're using. Uh, we specialize in the barrels that we make. Um, we now know after, after 17 years of this how to make a barrel how thick the staves need to be, um, where the wood should be harvested from around the country. And we know that we, if we take a barrel, the best example is Balmeray. Balmeray is aged for yep. a barrel from Kelvin Cooperage in Louisville, Kentucky, which harvests all of their white American oak from right there in the Ozarks. And it's in four years, the liquid is in that barrel for four years. And we took it out and Donna said, I'm going to put it in another barrel. And I said, yeah, but not that barrel. Let's get another barrel from the, uh, the the Atlantic Northeast, from Minnesota. Let's get a barrel that's harvested from from trees that are grown there, uh, white American oak trees. But let's try that instead and see what kind of impact that has on it. A different type of chemistry. So we aged that for two years longer in the, sim- the, the, the totally different barrel that has gaiacol and oak lactone and vanilla and isoeugenol and eugenol and, and all of these fabulous chemicals that are basically sugars and we put it in there for two more years and when it came out it was the darkest thing we'd ever seen it's like this crimson red color and i said i can't wait to taste it and he said me too and i said let's let's go do it let's go do it so we proofed it down to um, 115 proof and that was our sweet spot because we'd already done cowboy bourbon which is up around 145 proof and we said you know what let's do a cowboy version of this but let's do it at a lower proof so it doesn't have that Bam! That the, the cowboy has when it hits you, and that was the sweetest stuff I'd ever tasted in my life. And I knew that it was going to win major awards. It won whiskey of the year in American Whiskey Bible uh, in the the Whiskey Bible in twenty eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. And then in twenty twenty one, we released um, Laguna Madre. Laguna Madre was aged for four years in a white American oak cask from Kelvin Cooperage. And then we transferred it to a limousine oak cask from France, from the, the central forest in France. The limousine oak trees are prized for their limousine, for their vanilla consistency. Okay. Tons of vanilla in, in, in the trees, the French oak that it comes from. Expensive as hell because the the government in France only allows you to harvest so many trees a year. So you have to get a, on a wait list if you want to have barrels that are made. Say high demand, low supply. From limousine oak. So in 2009, I bought my first three limousine oak so barrels. So you, you, you saw this coming. You, I, you, you I knew wanted I wanted to. I had to try it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> vanilla is that – it's kind of the key – key thing for, for good whiskey right. and, and the key flavor point. So, uh, I got on the list and then the next year I got on the list and got more barrels and I got on the list and got more barrels. And these barrels started to eventually mature. And that became, um, Laguna Madre, four years at a white American oak casks, four more years in a limousine oak cask. And the Laguna Madre, we just did our release last Saturday morning. The trucks started showing up at our distillery. We, we only sold a thousand bottles through the, the distillery and the trucks started showing up on Friday afternoon and they'd all camp out along a road, 350 trucks camping out. And, um, and it was hilarious. And I'm down there, I'm bringing them pizzas and I'm bringing them shots of bourbon throughout the night, all the way up until like 11 o'clock. And then my dad and I, who was visiting my 81 year old father who had never seen one of our releases before, which was so, made me so proud. And my dad's watching all of these thousands of people line up just to buy a bottle of bourbon from us. 
And so my dad and I are the next morning, we're there at six o'clock in the morning with breakfast tacos for everybody. But the line had been forming throughout the night. So we didn't have enough breakfast tacos to feed everybody. <laughs> and we opened the gates at eight o'clock. We sold every single bottle that we had available by 10 o'clock. And then everybody hung out. We had a big party with everybody. Um, all my employees um, had to go take off their Garrison Brothers shirts and put on. And be regular people. Regular people so that they can have a drink with our guests. And that's what we did. Did you keep your shirt on? I, I changed shirts. I went okay. home. I jumped in the pool and I put on a t-shirt and a baseball cap and I went back out there and took the cowboy hat off because I did not want anybody else to ask me to sign their bottle again. I'd already <laughs> signed 750 bottles. Yeah, it was kind of cramping up. Uh, <laughs> more than that, you want to be family with these folks uh -huh. and you want to be friends with them and you want you want them to, to feel like you're a real person because they all treat me like I'm a fucking celebrity and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a celebrity. I just want to make good bourbon and share it with people. And so when I take my colors off, it makes me feel better about me. It makes me feel like I don't have to be, be the, the proprietor. I don't have to wear the hat. I don't have to parade around and, and, and you know, I, I, I just get to talk to people normally. You know, you're talking about the ability to to talk to people, be just be a person. And we've got an event coming up in 11 days. So all visionaries, if you haven't heard or haven't seen uh, any of our flyers yet, please come out to the Irving Golf Club on June 19th. We have an 830 shotgun start for our annual uh, Vision Lab podcast golf tournament. It will be benefiting the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of North Texas, as well as the Alzheimer's Association of Greater Dallas. Uh, big shout out to Greg Ellis, who is going to be um, this year's celebrity host. We're super excited about the partnership and look forward to uh, continuing that engagement for years to come. Um, fantastic event. So come on out. Hopefully we have a couple of bottle, bottles of these here. I think, and, um, I think we're going to have a Big old basket full of bourbon y'all can auction off uh -oh. for those those organizations. Stay tuned for that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just bring your best golf game, and we're going to just have a great family time and, and get to know people and, and network. Is It'll be absolutely amazing. Um, we're or, or almost to that point. I know. I, I feel you. Well, it's we're okay. It, it just means we're, you know, we've been doing this for yeah, a while. Yeah, we've been doing this for a little bit. But I have to ask this question. And while I'm asking this, you can go ahead and get ready for it. But um, for me. You know, I, I'm I'm a spirits drinker. I, Garrison Brothers, the first time I had it, blew my mind. You told me about it. Blew my mind. You told me about and it. And I was like, yo. And I'm not even a big bourbon drinker. But you guys make a phenomenal product. Thank you. It was almost out of, like, it was out of nowhere that you just guys, you guys popped up and you were here and you were here in a big mega way. Um, and I guess that was probably around the two se 2017, 18 point for me. I know that you probably had arrived in that like 2016, but man, you, I just want to commend you on, on what you're doing. Um, the product that you guys are yielding, it, it is, it's outstanding. It, it really, really is. And so I, I, I want to talk to you offline at some point about some partnership opportunities uh, later on, but um, we're in. Okay. Got to love it. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love it. There's a bull. There's the bull right there. That's right. I love it. We, um, put, a, we put a pretty pretty big tent in that bottle. Just three of us. We can do better. Well, well you I, know. And uh, do we have to go to work tomorrow? <laughs> 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 That's an inside joke for you yeah. visionaries. Yeah. Um, so 
last question, and then we'll start to land the plane. And P, if you want to get the, oh, we're, we're, we're ready. Right. So, um, what's some advice that you would give someone kind of following behind you? Um, and you you mentioned earlier that Texas is real competitive, but I know that you had the experience in Kentucky. Um, what's advice that you would give someone behind you that's looking to maybe start their own uh, their bourbon? Never give up on your dream. If Amen. you have a dream and you think it can happen Amen. and you uh, are willing to go out there and sacrifice everything to get it. I mean, I've been on my knees three times in front of the cross, in front of the distillery that's on the, the main entrance of the distillery where I've been on the verge of bankruptcy because I couldn't continue the business. Wow. And I get down on my knees and something happens. Mm. Um, in 2016. Now, real quick, you're, you're talking about praying. Yeah. Okay. Faith. I just want I want I want people to understand that we're talking about having faith, um, a think, true belief, a true believer, right? Without a, a support system around you, like my wife and my kids um, and my friends who invested in this business, mm -hmm. nine, nine of my friends helped me start this business up. Without that support system, you're lost. Without um, God having your back, you're you're lost because Amen. there's going to be tragedy for for sure. And and the greatest thing about faith is. There's always someone else to turn to when things get ugly. So um, I'm kind of a spiritual guy. Most of my staff is too. We actually have a list of our core values on every single job application. When people come for to hire for a job, uh, we specifically stay. If you don't believe in these core values that we believe in God, we believe in man, we believe in the environment, we believe in taking care of the environment, and we believe in taking care of people and our elders. If you don't believe in these core values, don't fill out this application. Yeah, there's no point you're being wasting here. your time. Yeah. Um, we want we want people that share our vision for the future, and and so that's important. The greatest thing I ever did was write a mission statement, and the mission statement for the business in the business plan that I wrote in 2003 was we are going to make the highest quality, finest tasting bourbon whiskey in the world. I, I would say you're uh, well on your way, if not already there. Yeah, you're this there. is a premium you're product. There. There, you're there. But what's great about saying that as your as your mission statement, you can't fall back. You can't go buy cheap barrels because they're on sale. You can't go buy cheap grain because it's on sale. You got to invest in the best, and that's what we've done. Well, it has proven its worth. Um, it's an outstanding product. Um, I'm curious about the cowboy. Uh, bourbon that you have? Yeah. We need to talk about that offline. Comes out in September. Okay. Yeah, that, that's going to be right okay. up his alley. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have reached a part of this show yes, where we, uh, we, we call it landing the plane. Um, this segment is brought to you by the good folks at Grand Brulo Cognac. Thank you to Francisco, the owner. Thank you to Jameson and the Lovers team, everyone that is uh, a part of this partnership. Um, your glass, Mr. Garrison. There it is. Mm. That's good. There we go. So this is the Cognac. Okay. Knows it. Do your thing. You know what you're doing. <laughs> it looks expensive and it smells expensive. Mm. It's very affordable. No, I don't want to hear that. Mm. <laughs> affordable I, is a key word. I, I like addictions. Mm, take a sip and we'll get to the question part. Damn. Yeah. 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 Mm. We'll get you in contact with Francisco, the owner. Yeah. Please, I'd love to talk to him. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, we have reached this point of the point, uh, landing the plane, P. Um, one of the questions we ask everybody at this part of the show, uh, it's you at a round table, um, whatever wood of your choice, if you will. Uh, if it was our table, we'd have some cigars and obviously probably some Garrison Brothers or Grand Brulot or maybe Definitely. Vodka. Definitely. You get five other seats at that table. 
You can have anybody you want at the table, dead or alive. The only caveat or stipulation, if, if you will, is that you can't have the uh, whatever higher power you believe in. I can't have whatever higher power I believe in. So you want me to name those five people? Who are the five yeah, other people, people at your table? Who are the five people sitting at the table with you? I want Anthony Bourdain. Ooh. I want... New one. Yeah, that's a new one. Queen Elizabeth. Two. That's Two a good one. one. I want Winston Churchill. Yeah, yeah. I've heard him before. I want Teddy Roosevelt. I think we've had him. One or twice. One or two. Gotta be a musician that comes to mind. I think King George. I gotta I love King George. Oh, wow. I always love King George. That's a good table. That's a good table. Why Queen Elizabeth? You're the first person to say Queen yeah. Elizabeth. Uh it's probably because recent news. I'm, I'm watching The Crown with my wife at night on, <laughs> on Netflix. And she's just a pretty cool chick in a really, you know, hateful environment. And it's just kind of interesting to watch uh, her. She's always carried herself with grace. Um, so I think that's why I got one more seat to fill. So we've got Churchill, Queen Elizabeth, George Strait, and uh, who's for, and the, the other one we're missing here? Oh, what else do we say? Churchill, George Strait, Queen Elizabeth. You know, my memory's shot, so. Yeah, <laughs> we'll give you we'll give you a bonus on second, so we can't remember the fourth one off the top of our head right now. All right. Um, how about Mark Twain and Roosevelt? There it is: Roosevelt, Mark Twain, Queen Elizabeth, Churchill, and Strait. Strait. That's a good table. Why Mark Twain? Uh, I love his writing. Um, in fact, outside of our distillery, there's a big billboard that shows you that you're getting close. And it says, um, uh, what is it? It's a, it's a Mark Twain quote that says, oh, shit, you guys will give me too much bourbon. To <laughs> well, we only invest in the too, too much of anything is bad, but too much good whiskey is never enough. Mm. I think that's how it goes. We'll look it up. When I was uh, building the business back in 20, 2003 and four, my wife um, gave me the quote from Teddy Roosevelt about being in the arena. And it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. The man in the arena. Mm -hmm. Do not criticize the man in the arena. I love that. It's a good table. You, a uh, table. Dan, you are a visionary and, and we are honored to have you here in the lab. And so, as we land the plane, I ask this question to every single guest that, that steps in the lab. What's the long-term vision for Dan and Garrison Brothers? I think I'll probably retire in five to seven years okay. um, and go explore the world. But before I do that, um, I'm going to have to sell off a, a chunk of the business, I think, to have the funds to do what, what I want to do. You know, Here's, I've heard you say this two or three times throughout this episode. Is there not any idea of keeping this in the family for your your children? <laughs> my my son and my daughter are so smart. They're well beyond starting and running a business like this, um, and they've known it all along. They have both. They both have personal ambitions. I think my son will eventually start some sort of entrepreneurial enterprise, and I'm certain my daughter will. They are two smart kids, and they're way smarter than I was when I started this venture. And my wife and I have always encouraged them to think outside the box, sure. um, do their own thing. My daughter knows exactly what she wants to do with the rest of her life, and I think my son has a pretty good plan too. So it's not going to be a family entity, and I don't think my team that runs the distillery could afford to purchase it at this point because past 
past two years have been crazy good for us. So we'll sell a chunk of it to someone. I'll still say stay involved for the rest of my life, but then I'm going to run Good Bourbon for a Good Cause, which is a foundation we created, a public charity to um, raise money for veterans' causes, to raise money for hill country causes, uh, taking care of our neighbors out in the hill country, and also to help um, hospitality industry employees who have never had health care. No, oh, that's good. That's that's, that's, that's something I never, I, yeah. you, you never think about that. We've got yeah, a program good. called Cocktails for a Cause, and uh, we're test marketing it with one restaurant right now. If it works, we're going to expand it to about five restaurants next year. And basically the way it works, you go to a restaurant or bar, and there's a little uh, a cocktail on the menu, and it's got the Good Bourbon for a Good Cause logo next to it. Okay. And if you order that cocktail, the restaurant donates $1 to their own hospitality industry health care fund. And then Sweet. Good Bourbon for a Good Cause matches that $1. So eventually we're talking about some real money. If I can get my friends Tito Beverage to do this and be involved, then I can go to Diageo and Pernod Ricard and Brown Foreman and say, why don't you guys all do this too? And we'll, we'll work with Blue Cross Blue Shield or some healthcare company to create this massive fund that takes care of hospitality industry employees. Real quick, why why the hospitality industry? Like it, it makes sense. And, and I never even, you know, think about that, but do you, like what's they, the affinity for hospitality? They're, they're the folks that sell our bourbon and they work off tips. They okay. get no health care whatsoever. Okay. I went into a California restaurant in uh, Huntington Beach, California, and the bartender was a half an hour late to show up for the appointment. And he shows up and he's walking on crutches. And I'm like, what's going on, dude? What what did you do to yourself? He said, I broke my leg last Friday. Well, it's Thursday. <laughs> and he's not wearing a cast. There's a boot? He's wearing he's he's wearing his own boot. No, he, yeah, he, he doesn't have. He doesn't even have a cast yeah, on. Cast him. On. Oh wow! And I said, dude, why aren't you in a cast? Why don't you have that that bone put back together? And he said, he said, I just can't afford it right now. I'm gonna have to wait. That's real. That is real. That is real. And and you're real. You're authentic. I hope so. And and I no, I appreciate that. Like the energy, it's authentic. You know, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm Dan Garrison, you know, and I, and I, and I appreciate that. Um, so real quick, I know you're a man of many toasts. Final question of the podcast, but before we do two things, any social media, um, handles or website that people can find more information about Garrison brothers, uh, www.garrisonbros.com on Facebook. It's just hashtag Garrison bros. Um, I have no idea what the other ones are. <laughs> Garrison Bros on Instagram. You can find it. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead and follow him. Please do. It's there. Yeah, it's, it's good. And guys, again, fantastic bourbon. Absolutely outstanding. So well, before we do the last uh, question of the, of the podcast, let's do a toast because I know you're a man of many toasts. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. going to do that. You're going to do the Grand Brulee? Okay. That's you're going right. to do the Grand Okay. Because that's good. It's got coffee flavors all down mm, there. There you go. So uh, let's raise these glasses up to, um, by the way, if the women out there are listening to this, you may want to cover your ears, but um, <laughs> let's raise these glasses to panties. Oh. Panties may not be the, the greatest thing in the world, but they're awfully close to it. Amen. Salute. <laughs> that's good. Uh, <laughs> that's great. 
That's good. That's we got, good. We got 2,000 of them, and some of them are much nastier than that. <laughs> Man, you're probably killing our rating right now. <laughs> no, this has been it, awesome. Yeah, it's been amazing. Absolutely. Man. By the way, uh, if you are enjoying this episode, please uh, go ahead and hit that like button. Make sure you're subscribed to the Vision Lab podcast on our YouTube channel. Uh, Dan, this has been absolutely amazing. Every, every guest that we have jump into the lab, we ask this question. In case you didn't know, uh, we do have a magical time machine, okay? So, what advice would Dan Garrison be giving himself from five years ago? Um, Stick with it. Because we were on the verge of bankruptcy in 2016. Oh, wow. We had 10 employees. Today we have 74. Stick with it. Never give up. I love it. Now, we're going to fast forward the clock five years from now. Okay. What's the older version of Dan Garrison? What what advice is he giving you today in 2021? The same advice I just gave the <laughs> just a second ago. Never give up. It's going to be hard, y'all. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry big old crocodile tears when, when I have to get out of this business. But I eventually do have to get out of it and let the younger people run it. And uh, and let somebody else take take over management, but it's going to be hard because this business has not been a business; it's been a family. And uh, we are so proud. We have you know twenty thousand people that follow this business. We have our own <laughs> Facebook website that's for the Garrison Brothers drinking team with almost three thousand members. Um, and that's happened organically. We didn't start that. No. It's it's our fans that have started that kind of crazy mm-hmm. shit. And now, real quick, and, and uh, Mo, you were in the car when when we pulled up. Um, one of the guys that I, I do some consulting work with, I said, hey, I'm getting ready to interview the owner of Garrison Brothers. He was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, that's a big deal. Like, And he lives in Indiana. And he is a big fan of you guys, and, and he happens to be here in Texas uh, this week. And actually, uh, the week that we're releasing this, um, he'll be back in Texas. So I'm going to make sure that he, you know, definitely checks this out. But he is a big fan of, of your product. Like, you are impacting and touching lives across the globe. It's weird, isn't it? it? it, it but it's cool. He said at the very beginning, good bourbon, yeah. can, good bourbon can affect and change the world. Yeah, it can. You're, you're doing it. And and I, I don't have a hat on, but I do tip my hat off to you. Well, thank you. Um, There's nothing better than giving back. Yeah, it's and I love that part of you. I love the fact that you're giving back to the community. Um, you've got the hospitality uh, charity um, deal bourbon going on. Bourbon for a good cause. Bourbon for a good cause. Um, keep doing what you're doing. I know that you said, you, you know, keep going. And that's, that's really a great message. Can I add one more message, Cuff? Come on. You asked me just a minute ago, what would I tell the Dan Garrison in five years? Yeah. Give it all away. Ooh. Give it all away. Give it everything you get. You can't take it to the grave. Give it all away to people who need it. Okay, Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have never met Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this has been, um, this has been outstanding. The, the product is beyond outstanding. Um, I do hope we can we can partner together here in the future on a couple of different fronts because, uh, and I've told Mo this for about a year. Yeah, I, I remember the, the, the yeah. before we even got to planning the show, 
and we had obviously we previously known each other. You were like, at some point, you're gonna drink some Garrison Brothers and put some hair on your chest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's for me. I I, I kind of like that robust stout in your face. Boom, like it's here, and this is everything bourbon should be. Um, and I think that's that's the way we should close this close this out. Uh, Garrison Brothers is everything bourbon should be. And so thank you. Um, I, I want to say thank you for jumping into the lab with us. Um, for having, making the trip. Thank yeah, you so much. For making the trip coming up. Um, it's been absolutely outstanding. My great pleasure, gentlemen. Nice to meet y'all. So uh, to all of our visionaries that are still tuning in, thank you so much uh, for, for your love and your support. Um, if you like this video, if you like the video and you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and hit that like button. Drop a comment below if you want to reach out to Dan or any of the members of the uh, Garrison Brothers team. We'll be more than happy to connect you guys with them. Remember, each one of our guests are dropping nuggets of wisdom here on the Trail of Life. Ultimately, my friends, it's up to you to pick them up. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ryan Mosley. He is Ryan Cuffey. The voice you've been listening to is the one of Dan Garrison, the owner of Garrison Brothers Bourbon. Dan, thank you again for your time. Thank you for making the trip. And we will see you guys next week on another great episode of the Vision Lab Podcast. Thanks for having me. Blessings. Blessings.